All right, here we go. Proverbs chapter 27. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. Let another praise you and not your own mouth. A stranger and not your own lips. A stone is heavy and sand is weighty, but a fool's provocation is heavier than both. Wrath is cruel, anger is overwhelming, but who can stand before jealousy? Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. One who is full loathes honey, but to one who is hungry, everything bitter is sweet. Like a bird that strays from its nest is a man who strays from his home. Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Do not forsake your friend and your father's friend, and do not go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. Be wise, my son, and make my heart glad, that I may answer him who reproaches me. The prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. Take a man's garment when he has put up security for a stranger, and hold it in pledge when he puts up security for an adulteress. Whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice, rising early in the morning, will be counted as cursing. A continual dripping on a rainy day and a quarrelsome wife are alike. To restrain her is to restrain the wind, or to grasp oil in one's right hand. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. Whoever tends a fig tree will eat its fruit, and he who guards his master will be honored. As in water face reflects face, so the heart of man reflects the man. Sheol and Abaddon are never satisfied, and never satisfied are the eyes of man. The crucible is for silver, and the furnace is for gold, and a man is tested by his praise. Crush a fool and a mortar with a pestle along with crushed grain, yet his folly will not depart from him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be for his word. Thanks be to God for his word. Well, if you have been marching along with us through the book of Proverbs, you have gone on a journey. We have sought to find real wisdom for real life as we have gone through this sermon series. And what better place to look for wisdom than the word of God? And what better place in the word of God than the wisest man who ever lived outside of Jesus Christ by a man named Solomon? Solomon was a very, very wise man who asked the Lord for wisdom, and rather than just giving him all of the wisdom that God gave him, he also gave him wealth. And so we have one of the wealthiest men in history and the wisest man in history outside of Jesus teaching us to find real, real wisdom for real life. And as we've gone through this series, we've seen how to, be, how to obtain wisdom and to ask God, and he will faithfully give it. We have seen what it looks like to be wise with our words, how we speak to one another, and what it is to wear wisdom in our work, not just at work in our careers, but also in our hearts and our relationships and working and not neglecting on those. We've also seen what it looks like to be wise with our wealth. And this week, we are looking at closing the series with what it is to be wise in the midst of our wounds. We're looking at the idea of wounds this morning. And some of you think, uh, have a lot to draw on and draw from when it comes to your wounds. 
I personally resonate with Proverbs chapter 27, verse 14. Whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice early in the morning is counted as a curse. That is a deep wound if you talk to me first thing in the morning very loudly. I'm going to be wounded in such a way. Um, but all joking aside, uh, we're not talking about wounds this morning that are external. We're not just talking about wounds that like maybe you received when you were uh, from a high school football injury and your knee is still aching 30 years later. We're not talking about wounds of maybe being in a car accident or maybe you know some extreme sport and you fell off a skateboard or something like that. Those are wounds that affect the totality of our body, but what we're focusing on this morning are the internal heart wounds that we have as believers and the internal heart wounds that we inflict on others. The internal heart wounds. And these come from some pretty close places in our lives. Like The reason wounds hurt so bad is because they come from places that are intimate to us and close to us. And there are a lot of places that we derive these wounds from that I believe often can cause more hurt than the wound actually is, than the wound actually hurts itself because of where they come from. And there, there are some places that we get our wounds from, and I'm just going to kind of go through the list here. The first place that we can get our wounds from are ourselves. We can get our wounds from ourselves. Um, and what I mean by that is uh, not just hurting yourself physically, but uh, maybe you've been wronged or hurt by someone else around you in your life, and you continue to either hold on to this pain or hold on to the wrong that they wronged you with, and you continue to wound yourself further because of not dealing with it properly. Or maybe looking at what the world has to offer us in 2020 and, and thinking, uh, well, I want to earn a sense of belonging in my group and circle of friends, and so I'm going to act and behave a certain way that is accepting to them but also damages others. We can damage ourselves and others from the source of ourselves. We can wound ourselves. Another place that we get wounds from are our friends. Um, some of you have had lifelong friends uh, who can say anything to you and be completely and brutally honest. And sometimes it hurts, and sometimes it doesn't. Um, some of you have very close friends that have betrayed you in, in a very uh, hurtful and, and demeaning way, and you're still suffering maybe years later from a wound that was caused and inflicted in that time and from that person. That is a source of our wounds as well. A third place that we get our wounds from is family. And boy, do we get a lot of wounds from family. We get a lot of wounds from family because they know who we are, right? They know every little detail about who we are, what we've done throughout our lives, our personalities, our quirks, what makes us angry, what makes us happy. And it's very easy for us to have that big of an open view, an open field in our loved one's lives to be able to, to maybe poke things that aren't necessarily like, like fully healed or, or maybe press in on some things that, that hurt a little bit more. Maybe some of you have had uh, issues with, with a spouse or another family member where they've either been unfaithful to you or betrayed you in a certain way or, or harmed you in a way that has caused this deep wound that, that lasts uh, years later, decades later. And we're wondering, what do we do with this? Family is a source of wound. Another source of our wounds is authority. Um, some of us have suffered uh, great wounds at the hands of abused authority. Those who, who reign over us, uh, either at a, at a workplace um, or in our life, they have some position of authority and they've either utilized it for their own gain and inadvertently have wounded you, or they have purposefully wounded you intentionally. And those wounds are there to this day. And lastly, one of the places that we often get wounds from, sad to say, but it's true, is the church. Many of us have been wounded by many of us in the church. Many of us have come with honest and open details about our life. People in the church have sinfully used those to abuse us. 
to call us out, to lie about us, and we've done the same to others, that we have hurt others in the church. And that is to be expected. Paul tells the Romans that all, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and sin leads to death. We're just a bunch of sinners gathered into one room. This church was perfect until we all got in here this morning. So we're going to be wounded by each other, and that is one of the sources of our wounds. But what do we do with our wounds? Like some of us are carrying these wounds that we've had for decades. Some of us were wounded just last week, and the wound is very fresh, and it's very painful. How do we handle this? How do we move forward and deal with these wounds? Maybe this illustration will help. This is a picture of, please bear with me on his name. That's not his name. His name is Leonid Ivanovich Rogozov. Hey, I did it. He's a Russian man. He was a, a, a doctor on a research team uh, in 1960 to 1962 in Antarctica. On April 29th, he wasn't feeling so great, and the very next day, he realized he was feeling even worse. And being a doctor, he was able to somewhat diagnose himself and realize he, was, he had diagnosed himself with peritonitis, which is just the product of a swelling appendix. He's like, ooh, my appendix is swelling, my abdomen hurts, I've got all these other issues. And the problem with this was that they were in Antarctica. They weren't in, like, St. Louis. And so he was the only doctor for a 1,000 miles away was the closest camp. And they were in the middle of a blizzard. He had no way of contacting anybody else to come and help him. And so what did, what did he have to do? He operated on himself. Leonid operated on himself. I have cropped the lower goo out of this picture so you don't have to see that. But it is fascinating. This man realized if I don't take out my own appendix, it's going to burst and then there will be a lot of nasty stuff inside my body and that will not be great. And so he had a friend help him out. He, if uh, holding a mirror like right here on his lower abdomen and if you've ever seen like the diagrams of like the internal of a human body um, The lower intestine like wraps like this and then there's a little jut that comes off That's your appendix right there and he was going in to remove that about two hours was supposed to be the length of this surgery This is in like 1962 guys. This is crazy um, And his assistant was holding this mirror for him and he got disoriented and he accidentally sliced his lower intestine um, and He actually opened it up a little bit and that prolonged the surgery like another two hours and so he slowly sewed himself back up, sewed up the lower intestine, removed his appendix, sewed himself back up. Two weeks later, he's healed and, and back on the job doing his regular work. That's an insane story, right? That's so crazy. I feel like a lot of us deal with our wounds in the same way that Leonid did. We are wounded. We notice something's not right. And we have no one around us or that we believe no one is around us to help us or to aid us that can help us with what is going on with the wound in our lives. And so we resort to operating on ourselves. And the problem is we're not doctors. The problem is we don't, we don't fully know how to fully operate on ourselves and heal these wounds properly. So like Leonid, we cut ourselves on accident. We, we use the wrong methods to, to heal ourselves and, and somehow wound ourselves further. Whether it is two or three beers a night to wash away the, the troubles of the day, whether it is uh, frequent shopping to just gather more things to create this idea of I finally have what I need, that looks fine, I'm going to have this in my life and feel comfortable, whether it is saying the right thing or the wrong thing around a group of friends to get that feeling of belonging, to get that feeling of significance in your life, but in doing so you wound someone else or maybe even yourself further. What do we do with our wounds? How do we, how do we heal properly from these wounds? Well, we have to understand where our wounds come from, what kind of wounds they are, and how to heal from them properly. And that's what we're going to see this morning in our text. We're going to see three things. We're going to see helpful wounds. There are such things, I promise. We're going to see hurtful wounds, and we're going to see how to heal from wounds. So let's move right into helpful wounds. The first point are helpful wounds. Some wounds are helpful. In Proverbs chapter 27, the text that was read to you in verse 6, it says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. 
Faithful are the wounds of a friend. You're like, that doesn't seem to make sense. Like, why would my friend punch me in the face? Well, that's not what Solomon is talking about here. Solomon is referring to a friend in your life that is close to you. Like, Dr. David Jeremiah has, has helped me through this series, and he talks about the four types of friends who are in our lives and how we interact with them and how we give them uh, credence in our lives to be able to say or do certain things. The first kind of friend that we have is a contact friend. A contact friend knows us, uh, we know them well enough to speak to them, like in the lobby, like, but not close enough to be like, hey, let's come have dinner or let's go on a vacation together or hang out or whatever. It's somebody that you would probably remember their first name but maybe forget their last name or maybe even their first name. It's okay to forget names. It's not the end of the world. We're all human. But these are people that you would know, uh, that you would know by looking at them and know that there's some kind of commonality in your life, and you would say hello and strike, strike up a conversation. The second kind of friend that exists is a casual friend. A casual friend is somebody that you would have like conversations with about like personal interests, whether it's like politics or sports or barbecue uh, or fishing or anything like that. Somebody that, that is either at work or, or around your neighborhood, somebody that you would feel comfortable uh, battering back and forth with and shooting the breeze, but nothing really further than that. Uh, the third kind of friend that we have is a close friend. These are people like your business partners, your neighbors, they're regular parts of your life. You see them almost on a daily basis. You know some of the detailed inner workings of their lives, but maybe not so much to really get all, get all up in each other's faces about some things and get real in life. The last kind of friend that Dr. David Jeremiah tells us is a committed friend. A committed friend. These are the friends who you have either known your entire life or maybe you've just started a friendship, but you know that this person is going to be with you through the thick of it and through the thin of it. They are going to be by your side when you're making dumb decisions and when you're making good decisions. And these are the kinds of people and the friends in your lives that Solomon is referring to that will give you faithful wounds, that will give you helpful wounds. Maybe confronting you and addressing you when you're about to make a poor decision and saying, hey, that's probably not right. You should probably not do that. And then, a fr and then thanking God for that and be like, thank you, thank you, God, for this committed friend. And so these committed friends give us wisdom and help us as we move through our lives. And sometimes that comes at the cost of a wound, of a faithful wound, whether it's something that they tell us that causes us pain or is just a little uncomfortable to move forward and maybe start in a new path of life. But those wounds have to come from somewhere. Those wounds that are helpful from friends aren't just like legalistic uh, ways of life, and, it, and it's not just, uh, it's, it's not legalism and the other word that I can't think of. It's, it's not just them coming along and saying, hey, don't, as we often say, don't, don't drink, cuss, or chew, or go with girls that do, because if you do, you're going to go to hell, and that's bad. That's not what a committed friend says. A committed friend doesn't just pull up condemnation and legalism for you to just obey and walk along. It has to come from a certain place. And so we see that this helpful wound that a committed friend can deal to you comes from two places. The first one is a place that comes from truth, from truth. In verse 17, it says, iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. So this idea that, that it's, not, uh, it's not this battering ram of coming into your life and, and telling you everything that you should or you shouldn't do, but, but Solomon gives us this, this idea and this vision of, like, of sharpening a sword, of, of sharpening another, another, uh, another person's countenance and another person's uh, livelihood in their lives to where they become a more sharp and effective tool for living life in God's kingdom. That it's not this battering ram of using the Bible as a baseball bat, but it's actually coming into your life and telling you something from the source of truth that we adhere to. Now, I need to clarify this. The committed friends that I'm referring to 
and the helpful wounds I'm referring to can happen outside of the community of, of God's kingdom and outside of believers, but I'm talking to us as believers this morning. So number one, if you are an unbeliever and this is your first time here, welcome. We're so glad that you are here. Number two, if you have been wounded by somebody within the church who has used the Bible as a baseball bat to condemn you to hell because of the way that they see you sinning, I'm sorry. That's not the good news. That is not the good news of Jesus Christ. This correction and this truth that comes from committed believers to one another is actually meant to build us up, to sharpen us, to be more effective tools in God's kingdom. In verse 5, it says, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Better. It actually says that it's better for this committed friend to come to you and say, Hey, you're probably, you're probably drinking too much. And God's, I'm sorry, not God's word. A scientist will tell us that in the midst of you downing that much alcohol, your liver's probably not going to do so great and you probably might die early. Like, those are real facts and that's a place of truth. But as believers, the truth that we draw from is not just scientific data and real things from, from what we read on the internet or in books in the library. The truth that we draw from to share and sharpen one another with is God's word. That is the truth that we draw from as committed friends to one another. Friends that wound you from a place of truth wound you from a place in God's word. And to be wounded by the word is okay in a helpful sense. Like Paul says to the, to the, to the I'm sorry, he writes in the book of Hebrews chapter 4, he likens to the same image of the word of God being like a sword and its effectiveness. He says the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, and it pierces to the division of the soul and of the spirit, and it discerns the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And as believers, we welcome that truth. We welcome that truth, even if it brings a wound, because we know that God's word can pierce to the heart of the issue, as Paul is saying, and help discern between what is deteriorating our soul and our heart. And that, that comes from a place of truth, and sometimes that brings a wound, but we can be thankful for that, and we can be thankful for the source of the truth because of what Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Effective tools to sharpen us and to make us more effective tools in God's kingdom. But the helpful wound doesn't just come from truth, it also comes from love. It also comes from love. I mentioned earlier a, a visual that we use often. It's the difference between using the Bible as a baseball bat and using the Bible as it's intended as more like a scalpel, a mirror to see the issue that is taking place, and a scalpel to, to delicately and gently operate in the area of the wounded space and pull out what needs to be pulled out and sew up in new healing areas. And all of that takes place from a position of love, from a position of love. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14 through 16 says, So that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, craftiness, and deceitful schemes, but rather we speak the truth in love, and we grow up in every way into him who is the head, Christ, into Christ. That deceitful doctrine and the, the blowing winds of doctrine and the things that we believe, those can be wounds that don't come from truth. Those can be wounds that don't come from a position of love, but rather just from a position of condemnation and beating you down for what you've done wrong. The kind of helpful wound that committed friends offer to one another come from a place of truth and a place of love because we 
are brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus and have been made alive together in Christ. And with those loving nudges and loving wounds, we can actually be made more effective tools for the kingdom of God. Paul actually alludes to this in the book of Acts. He says, this is what Jesus told me when he knocked me off my high horse of what my purpose was and why he was sending me. He said, Jesus said to me to open their eyes so that they might turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Paul understood that even if he was going to move forward into the Christian community and be this new voice that God has sent and maybe wound some people, it was to bring them into the fold. It was to show them the good news of Jesus Christ, the good news of God, and to invite them in to his kingdom. And maybe some of us believe, I mean, I believe this for a really long time, and there are times where I even say that I don't believe it, but I actually show that I believe it. That we live in a world where, as a Christian, it's okay to, to do Christianity on your own. To sit at home, to read your Bible, to do the Instagram thing with the coffee and the notebook, and to watch the preacher online or on TV and say, I've done it. Like, th that's my ration for today, and I'm moving forward. You don't need to tell me how to live my life. You don't need to tell me what I'm doing right and wrong. I've got this. It's just me and God. I would challenge you, that's, that's not Christianity. That's not a community of faith. We have been made in the image and in the likeness of God, and God in and of himself is a community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and we are invited in this community together to live this out together. And so the application for us this morning for a helpful wound is that God will use people. God will use others to help you grow. He will use others. You may hear things from other believers in your life that you may not want to hear. But I can tell you this, if it is from a position of truth, rooted and grounded in God's word, and motivated by love, it's good news for your life. And that wound is a good wound. And you can be thankful to God for that committed friend. God will use others to help you grow. But we don't just have helpful wounds. We also have hurtful wounds. Wounds that don't come from a place of truth or love. And they may or may not come from a committed friend or family member. Um, one of my favorite movies of all time is The Count of Monte Cristo, my favorite book, too. Um, it's the story of a man named Edmund Dantes. He's got a fiance. He's about to do really well and be the own captain of his own ship. And in the midst of it, he is betrayed by three of his friends, and they throw him into prison. While he's in prison, he meets the priest, the cool old man in this picture, and the priest teaches him how to read, how to write, how to fight, how to do math and speak other languages and all of that, and he escapes from prison and finds this treasure that this priest gave him a map to. It's an overwhelming story, but that's the synopsis in the footnotes. So if you're in college, you're welcome. Or high school? I don't know what level of reading that is. But either way, he escapes from prison and he finds this treasure with his new sidekick, and his sidekick says, you're the wealthiest man I've ever heard of. What are you going to do? He said, I'm going to seek revenge. And he said, okay, who? I go down to Paris, bam, bam, bam. I come back before week's end. Why is this not a bad plan? He said, he said this, death is too good for them. They must suffer as I suffered. They must see their world, all they hold dear, ripped from them as it was ripped from me. I love this movie and quotes from it often pop into my mind, but this week this, this quote stood out. 
Because I feel like when we have hurtful wounds, uh, regardless of who they're from, that is our response much of the time, believers or not. That this person wounded me in such a profound way that I am still in pain years later. And the only solution to my problem and to my pain is to inflict it back on this person. Is to inflict it back on the person so they can suffer as I've suffered. So they can lose the things that I've lost. Now as believers, we, we, know, we know with the Holy Spirit alive inside of us and what God's word tells us, that's not right. And that that is not the way to deal with wounds. But we often find ourselves there. We often find ourselves with bitterness and, and hate and rage. And it's because of, of how wounds operate in our lives. Because we are, we are three-part, three-fold human beings. We are mind, we are body, we are soul. The, th the three ways that we can be wounded are physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Physically, we can be wounded in such a way that it affects our emotional and our mental health. Emotionally, we can be wounded by a loved one or a family member or a friend, which can also affect our, our spiritual health. And we can be wounded spiritually. Now, now let me clarify on this. Uh, Back in, back in the days of the Old Testament, there was, no, there was really no word for spirituality. Um, that wasn't like something that they categorized as a separate part of their life. It was all together. Everything was mixed together, just like this. And so maybe some of you have been wounded either physically or emotionally, maybe by your dad, for example, by a father figure. And now you have this spiritual wound that prevents you from being able to see our Heavenly Father as a loving and good God who gives good gifts. You see him as a demanding and as a punishing and as a reprimanding God who casts lightning at every, every bad thing you've ever done. Wounds affect us in all of these ways, in these hurtful wounds, and they have a source as well. They have a source just like helpful wounds, but it's not truth and it's not love. Well, what are these from? The hurtful wound first is from lies. From lies. In verse 6, it says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, and profuse are the kisses of an enemy. I wrote this down this week. Um, I'm just going to read through it. Uh, it's in regard to the lies that we hear on a regular basis um, in the culture that we live in in 2020, uh, the things that we can all relate with intimately um, and closely to because it's all on the forefront every single subject. I'm just going to read this. We live in a world that is full of so many messages and so many lies. You're not good enough unless you look a certain way, unless you say the right things or do the right things. To be accepted by others, you must adhere entirely to their worldview. A world where young men and women are daily confronted with the lie that in order to have a sense of belonging, they have to degrade themselves by sending the expected social media photos or text messages where news outlets tell us that if we don't lean left, we're heartless and cruel, and if we don't lean right, we're anarchists and tyrants. In a world where 57 years ago, this weekend, Martin Luther King Jr. and thousands of other black men and women would march on Washington to fight against the lie that the color of your skin determines the value and worth of your humanity. The Bible calls this kind of friend, the one that tells us lies, is an enemy. It tells us lies about about who we are and what we've done and how at the core of it, those lies produce wounds. And that wound is at the heart of our identity. 
that the hurtful wound that is rooted in a lie will immediately attack the truth that you are made in the image and likeness of God. That you are fearfully and wonderfully made. That the God of the universe knows how many hairs are on your head. And when we believe the lies that we are not valued and that we are not created in the image and likeness of God and that we are not His treasured creation, that results in wounds. And those wounds are found in the heart of our identity. And that overflows into every other area of our lives. The hurtful wound is from a place of lies. It comes from the enemy. And the second place that hurtful wounds come from are selfishness, from selfishness. In Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20, it says, the companion of fools will suffer harm. Elsewhere in Proverbs, Solomon says that if you run your mouth and don't think about what you're saying, you're a fool. And these are the kinds of fools that Solomon is referring to in this chapter, that if you are their companion, you'll suffer harm from them. Some of you have been wounded not just from a place of lies, but because it's the product of somebody else's selfishness in your life. Someone at work climbing the ladder in illegitimate ways and breaking the rules and maybe even the law gets the promotion rather than you when you obeyed the rules. Or maybe the, maybe the rule is switched. Maybe it's you achieving things in, in selfish ways and inadvertently you're wounding somebody else. Longing after another man's spouse. Inadvertently and intentionally wounding your spouse. Selfishness. Climbing the ladder at work in illegitimate ways. Wounding others for the sake of your own gain. Selfishness. These wounds that we experience that are hurtful and damaging come from a place of lies that damages and wounds our identity and from a place of selfishness. Proverbs and Solomon call that foolishness. We cannot sin in isolation. We cannot sin in isolation, and every sin that takes place in our lives will affect someone else. So what do we do about these wounds? What do we do about these hurtful wounds that aren't from committed friends and believers that are made to sharpen and build us up as more effective tools for God's kingdom, but rather they are lies and they are from selfishness that are deeply affecting how we live on a daily basis. I mean, Edmund Dantes' solution was vengeance and revenge. We know that that's not right. God said, vengeance is mine and I will repay it. So it's not our place to take that role. So what do we do? Do we do nothing? If we do nothing and leave it alone, you will experience what many of us experience. Unattended wounds will become infected with bitterness. Unattended wounds will become infected with what we call bitterness. Bitterness is this resolve to not forgive, to pay somebody back the wound that they wounded you with, to get even, to make things right. And if we leave our wounds unattended, they will become infected with this bitterness. And bitterness doesn't just wound others, but it wounds ourselves further. Proverbs chapter 26, verse 4 says this, 24. Whoever hates disguises himself with his lips and harbors deceit in his heart. And when he speaks graciously, don't believe him. There are abominations in his heart. This is what bitterness can do to us. 
It can, it can cause hate to fester in our hearts to the point to where when we speak graciously, there's nothing in our heart that's gracious, but it's abominable to the other person and to ourselves. 57 years ago this weekend, Martin Luther King Jr. marched on Washington and gave his I Have a Dream speech. And I thought it would be fitting to quote him from that speech in regards to bitterness. He said this on that day, But there is something that I must say to my people who stand on the warm threshold which leads into the palace of justice in the process of gaining our rightful place. We must not be guilty of wrongful deeds. Let us not seek to satisfy our thirst for freedom by drinking from the cup of bitterness and hatred. We must forever conduct our struggle on the high plane of dignity and discipline. To flee from bitterness and hatred. Proverbs 24, 24, 17 says, Don't rejoice when your enemy falls, and don't let your heart be glad when he stumbles. So we, we keep hearing this language that bitterness is not the answer, but what is? How do we heal from our wounds? That's our final point this morning. Healing from wounds. What brings healing? The Bible is, is very clear, especially in the teachings of Jesus in regards to forgiveness, because it is not fully within ourselves to offer up true forgiveness to our friends and to our family or to those that harm us and hurt us. And Jesus brings us down to reality when he tells us that one of the ways that we can heal from our wounds is from repentance. Repentance. Repentance is this idea of turning from something, but not just turning from something. As anyone who's been through either AA or any kind of addiction recovery program, you know that you can't just turn away from something because you'll pick up something else. You have to turn away from something and turn to something. But as believers, repentance is us turning away from something and turning to someone. And that person is Jesus Christ. And what he has to say about bitterness and what he has to say about wounds and how we inflict them on others or how we address them in others and on ourselves, he says in Matthew chapter 7. He says, Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but don't notice the log that's in your own? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You're a hypocrite. First, take that log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. What's he talking about? He's talking about repentance. He's talking about examining yourself and how the log that is in our own eyes, the sin and the jealousy and the pain and the lust that's in our own heart should be addressed and turned from and turned to Jesus long before we look around at the world and start pointing and saying, they wounded me this way. They wounded me that way. Here's the speck that's in their eye and how they're going to wound everyone around them. The Christian life is a call to repentance. It's the first thing that we hear Jesus say recorded in the scriptures when he is an adult and starts his ministry. And John says it as well. The time has now come. Repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. Turn from this and turn to me. Romans chapter 2 verse 4 says God's kindness is meant to lead us to repentance. The kindness of God is meant to to lead us to repentance. Again, it's not, it's not legalism. It's not our own morality. Because if we try hard enough, it's not going to function properly. We are not going to repent of our own power, but it is the power of God's kindness and His Holy Spirit alive inside of us that enables us to repent. Hurtful wounds aren't just healed 
through repentance, but they are also healed through this monumental word called forgiveness. Forgiveness. Forgiveness is one of the most difficult things, I think, for the Christian life because it does cause us to look at others who have harmed us and who have hurt us in maybe deep, deep ways that have affected us for many, many years or maybe recently damaged and wounded us in such a way that the wound is still fresh and it hurts, man. And if the call is not bitterness but repentance, if it's not bitterness but forgiveness, what does that forgiveness look like? Alistair Begg, in his book called The Hand of God, he has a moment where he speaks on forgiveness, and he says this. Listen to these words. He says, Consider the words of Jesus from the cross. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Can we who have been forgiven every debt by God honestly tell him we plan to hold a grudge against our brother and sister the rest of our lives over what might be some marginal, minimal, or major offense? Of all things, the church is to be the people of forgiveness. Is that not part of the prayer our Lord taught us to pray? Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors? If we are to ask people what they consider the hardest thing to say to someone else is, I suspect that two recurring answers would be, I am sorry and I forgive you. Our pride is so great that we are reluctant to admit to being wrong and perhaps even sadder, we are slow to grant forgiveness to those who seek it from us. As Philip Schaff had said, to return evil for good is devilish. To return good for good is human. To return good for evil is Christ-like and divine. Forgiveness is not some little extra part of the Christian experience. It is at the very heart of it. Forgiveness is not just a thing we do. It's a life that we live. We are forgiven by one another in the church when we wound one another. We forgive those who have wounded us and we ask forgiveness from them. It's almost as though it's a clothing that we wear. It's, a, it's an attitude on our heart that we go about our lives with. Paul put it this way and he wrote to the Colossians. He said, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against the other, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds it all together in perfect harmony. The Lord has forgiven us. What does that mean? We forgive each other because God has forgiven us. The band is going to come up and lead us in a time of response. The biggest wound that we have in our lives is the wound of sin. The Bible tells us that all sin leads to death. The greatest wound that you and I have ever experienced is the wound of sin. It has been here since the garden, and it is still here. But for those who call on the name of Jesus Christ, he saves us from our wounds and from the death that we are in. Listen, this is beautiful. This is the gospel. If, if, if wound, the greatest wound that we have is the sin that is in our heart, which leads us to death, we know that God sent his only son. And Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that even when we were dead from the consequences of our sin and our wounds, he made us alive together in Christ. 
He rose us up out of the consequences of the wound of sin and made us eternally alive. So for the believer, we have hope. For the believer, we have hope knowing that we have a wounded Savior who saves us from our wounds. That, that when we go through this path of, of regardless of the helpful wound or the hurtful wound, we repent and we forgive one another. With that comes Jesus turning our wounds into wellsprings of life. Jesus turns our wounds from, from death to life. And you want to know what's so amazing and so beautiful about, about this mystery that God has sent to us in Jesus Christ and the love that was around him is that he accomplished this by wounding Jesus. Our wounds were made into wellsprings of life because Jesus Christ was wounded on our behalf. That he hung on that cross bearing all of the sin and all of the shame and all of the punishment and everything that I deserve from my wounds and the sin that I have inside of me and he bore it on himself. God's word tells us that it pleased the Lord to crush him and to wound his son. These are the words that we hear in Isaiah 53. Who has believed what he has heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, wounded, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, wounded, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, wounded, and we did not esteem him, wounded. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions, wounded. He was crushed for our iniquities, and upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. By the wounds of God, we are healed. Look, we've been going through this whole series looking for real wisdom for real life. I don't know what is more wise than coming from God's word telling us that the wounds that we have in our lives are healed because he bore them. And that frees us to live wise and healthy lives in the midst of being wounded, in the midst of handling our finances or our relationships with God and one another. And how we work and how we walk through life. May God take our wounds and turn them into wellsprings of life. Would you stand this morning? We're gonna pray as the Lord taught us to pray. And when we get to the portion of his prayer where we ask for forgiveness and give forgiveness, may we remember that by his wounds we are healed. And as Colossians says, we forgive each other as God has forgiven us. Let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. James chapter 1. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach. And it will be given him. Amen.